one of the best finals ever to one of the best World Cups ever. A fitting end to an amazing 28 days. Welcome to Doha Diaries. Hello people and welcome to the final episode of Doha Diaries as we look back on the 2022 Qatar World Cup. And what a World Cup it's been. It's genuinely been one of the best in living memory, one of the best for me that I've ever watched and one of the best probably ever. Osama joins me as always. Osama, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Not bad, not bad. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, It's good to have you on today, bro. Guys, today we will be going through the final on Sunday. What a final we were treated to, to end uh, the World Cup. Uh, We'll be going through the final and then we'll move on to talk about the World Cup as a whole before giving our verdict on our teams of the tournament, our players of the tournament and so on. Sam, let's start with Sunday. What I found very interesting, it was literally a game of, not necessarily two halves, it was like two thirds of it was one way and then... The final third of it was another. The first 80 minutes told its own story and then the final 40 told its own story. And we'll, of course, come to what it, this means to Lionel Messi, what it means to Kylian Mbappe uh, and so on. But as as a game, how did you find it? What did you think of it as a, as a game? I thought, honestly, um, the game as a whole was probably one of the best World Cup finals that I have witnessed myself. I thought the game had everything. Um, blood, sweat, tears, everything throughout and I think deservedly so the better team won at the end of the day I thought Argentina were immense throughout the throughout the game I think from like you said until the 80th minute or 70th minute they were they looked like the team that were going to win comfortably um scored two good goals and yeah obviously as a neutral um it made the game much more interesting yeah let's focus on that first 80 minutes first because the dominance that Argentina showed was, was absolutely impeccable. And I want to give a big shout out to Scaloni because he played a tactical masterclass up until the 80th minute. Yeah. Because they did not let them get a sniff of the ball in that midfield. And I thought, I understand why he took Giroud and uh, Dembele off, especially when we heard the rumours of a virus going around in the French camp. And that was probably why Dembele performed the way he did, which was really, really a poor performance by him. But the way that Argentina controlled the game, it didn't matter if they were ill or not because they didn't let them touch the ball. And that's what surprised me about the changes even when they did come on. I like the two-round change. I thought he should have started because I thought he was the player that changed the semi-final for them because he tracks back a lot more than Mbappe does. Yeah. That midfield, I thought they were going to bring a midfielder on and they didn't. And Griezmann got marked out of the game because of that. And he, he, we saw, if anything, how important he was in that final because of how well Argentina marked him out of the game, don't you think? Yeah, I think, I think I've got to, I've got to say that he did get it right on the day. Um, Deschamps, I don't know, I don't understand as to why he played both Rabiot and Tuchemeni. I thought they both played similar roles. They both went in deep to try to collect but the ball. But they've played as a partnership to be fair throughout the World Cup. No, they have, but in this magnitude of the game, they do they did similar roles that like they couldn't get close enough to the forwards like Mbappe or Giroud. And obviously, Tuchemeni as a, a holding defensive midfielder, he's there just to come collect the ball and spray it out wide to, obviously, the better players. 
Now, if you've got him and Rabiot doing the same job and you're expecting Rabiot to kind of do the box-to-box like Antoine Griezmann, but more within like a defensive side of it, he wasn't offering anything. And yeah, like you said, he should have been subbed off earlier within the no, game. No, I, I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying he should have been subbed off. I, I thought he I think he should have stayed on, but I think they should have included another midfielder. I think they should have gone to almost like a diamond system where they played four midfielders. I would have taken I would have taken off Giroud and Dembele like he did. I would have bought on Saram, but then I would have also bought on someone maybe like Kamavinga to shore up that midfield. And I think that's where the game was was being lost up until then for them. And the it was almost like a reversal at the 80th minute mark or just before it. It was almost a reversal. It was that was when Scaloni took off Di Maria, who was giving them the width and was stretching the game for them. He was probably the best player in the game up until that point. Yeah. And the second they lost their width, that's when Argentina's problems started as well. So, yeah, no, no, I think I, um, the inclusion of Di Maria, I think, was probably his best thing that he's done throughout the tournament. I think he's, he only played seven minutes um, within the knockout stages. And obviously... He's recovering from an injury, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think he, he was, obviously, like you said, their best player. He offered that width and he couldn't really, he, he kind of pinned Kunde back so he couldn't really push up and double up to Dembele where he's been doing all throughout the tournament, kind of overlapping him. But I think the mistake was that with Scaloni, he didn't usually, when they're winning 2-0, 3-0, like it with the Croatia game and the previous game before that, he'd bring on Lassandro Martinez and kind of solidate the back four to a back five, making it more defensive. And obviously the teams will find it harder to break down. Now, obviously, like you said, with Di Maria coming off, they kind of lost that width. Um, they couldn't get anyone running behind, stretching the game. And obviously, they just played right into Franz's hands. And obviously, two moments from Mbappe changed the game. Yeah, and let's talk about the moments because up until that point, he was anonymous. Yeah. But I think that's what separates the, the best of the best from everyone else is that they take games by the scruff of their neck when you don't necessarily expect them to. And, okay, the first was a penalty. It was a, probably a fair penalty. It was very similar to the one that Argentina yeah, got, actually, yeah. into the, the foul itself. It was probably soft, mm. but it was probably a penalty. And then that volley. That volley was wow. the moment of the game. Yeah. Because it, it was the fact that it came so close after the first goal. Nine seconds, I believe. Yes, a minute and 33 seconds mm. after that penalty, he does that. And I think that was the moment of the final. That was the moment that, for me, pushes him on into the echelons of the greats and, and makes him now someone who is a star as a confirmed status. And it was it was absolutely incredible because what it meant and what it meant for us as fans watching the game because it meant, okay, now it's a game. Now we've got a game on our hands. Yeah, exactly. I think what you need to consider is that this is what, a minute after he scored the penalty, now, you played through one on one. Most players, probably 80% of players, would take a touch, control the ball. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Take the keeper on one on one, place it either side. He took it on the volley first time. And the control and the technique he showed. The absolute cojones on him. Yeah, to, to honestly, shoot it's there. nuts. And, and, and I do understand the point that Martinez, you know, maybe should have been a bit stronger because did, he, he did get a hand to it. But at the same time, like I you said, to, to, to take the shot on yeah. in that moment. It's crazy. Shows the kind of the magnitude and, and the level of a player that yeah, Mbappe it, is and that he will continue to be going forward now. Exactly. Like the confidence that he has to hit it first time. Like honestly, to say that someone's not touched the ball throughout the whole game, he was nowhere to be seen. 
and then to do two moments of magic. Uh, uh, wow. Absolutely incredible. And then we came into extra time. Wow. <laughs> and the, the the best thing about that France comeback was that it gave life to the game. Yeah. Because it wasn't even a case of extra time being boring. It was an intense end-to-end game in that half an hour of extra time. Yeah. Where we saw both teams going at each other. Both teams creating chances. Both teams getting chances to win it. Let's come to the Argentina goal. Now, Latoro Martinez had one of his games where he just misses the net again and again. And ironically, it was his miss that gave us another incredible moment with Messi getting the second. I'm sure a lot of people at the time thought that that was the winner then because of, of, the, of the time that it came in. Yeah. It was, it was, it was an ama- amazing piece of play. But the intensity in that, in that extra time period was incredible, wasn't it? But no, talking about the extra time itself, I think you're right to show the intensity between both sides. I think you can see both of them just dying to get the victory within extra time. And I think the pressure of taking penalties is too much for either team. Uh, you can see, I think, within the 123rd minute when you had Colo Mwane 101. Uh, what a save by Emi Martinez. And then less than 10 seconds after, you've got Argentina attacking the other side and Lautaro Martinez missing an absolute golden chance with a header. And it just shows the game can go either side, end to end. Yeah, the the Colomwani chance, obviously, of course, France, before that, gets the penalty yeah. uh, and the equaliser. And I want to come on to something about Mbappe that I absolutely loved in, in both penalties and then in the penalty shootout. But the the chance by Colomwani was the one. Because when I, when I initially saw that, I, saw, I thought, oh, that's a bad shot. And then the more you look at it, the more you realise how much of a good save it was. Yeah. He saved it like a handball keeper. Like the way he came out, spread his legs. It was it was an absolutely incredible save. It was like one of them. It was the moment that probably won the game for Argentina because without that, they don't go to penalties. And, you know, Emi Martinez has his faults as a goalkeeper, like we said. But in that moment, he, he showed how big he was for them and how big he's been for them. Let's not forget how big he was in the Copper run. Um, and and talking of which, we came to penalties. And I think the second it went to to penalties, I was watching it with with the guys. A shout out to Mahmoud. And uh, the second it went to penalties, I I said Argentina win because Loris is not good at penalties, and Emi Martinez has just a different advantage when it comes to to penalties. Uh, and that's exactly how it went, wasn't it? Yeah, I think. I've, weirdly enough, I've never seen Hugo Loris save an actual penalty. Um, except in the Premier League once or twice, and that's he it. He didn't save a single penalty uh, in the World Cup against him, including Whereas, the Kane ones where the weather one went over, of course. He, like, he doesn't frighten you as a keeper, winning that. Whereas Emi Martinez, he, he plays at mind games within you, like, now you double down yourself, like Tuchel Meni throwing the ball away. Yeah, you could say it's a bit unsporting Yeah, it's just, it's just ma- it mind works. games, isn't it? It works, and now look at him. Emi Martinez is a World Cup winner. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And the the... the I feel like with the final as a whole, and congratulations to Argentina, they came through, they've got the third star now, and, and a defining moment for Lionel Messi that we'll come on to. What I also felt was, I feel at the time, a lot of people were prisoners of the moment. Um, and, and that's normal. Recency bias is a thing, and especially when, when you're in the moment, it, it can be very understandable. Uh, now that we've had a couple of days to kind of look back at it, we, I, th- I feel like we have to consider that first 80 minutes. Like, that first 80 minutes can't just be kind of forgotten about. I think for me, personally, 
it is probably in the top three World Cup finals of all time. I'm I can't really talk much about the ones that we didn't watch. I can only base it on what I've heard about them finals. For me, two thousand and six is still the the best World Cup final ever because of the narratives in the game, because of the actual game itself. It was end to end. The that final for me sticks out in terms of for me the best final I've watched is that one. So for me that will always be number one until one better than it comes. And because that was a good game throughout, this one only started in the 80th minute. So, so two thirds of this game was, you know, a procession basically. The the other one I'd put ahead of it is probably 86. Now, I, I haven't watched it, but from what I've heard about it, and I've, I've spent some time yesterday reading up about kind of each of these finals, and what it seems like 94 and 86 were absolutely incredible finals. A lot of the lists that I looked at had 94 as the best one, but from what I read about 86, it seems like it was absolutely incredible. It had a lot of similarities to, to this one, um, as one of the one of the guys mentioned, actually. Argentina take a 2-0 lead. West Germany come back to all. And then the winner. So it was essentially this if Messi scored the winner in normal time. It's very difficult. It's very subjective. If you're an Argentinian, this is the greatest final of all time, probably. So I do think it's very subjective. What do you think? I think for me personally, I'm going to have to kind of follow the sheep and say this one would have to be the best World Cup final. Based team. on what, though? I think based on me just actually watching it and going through the emotions of it. So um, you, you, for you, so for, yeah, you, so for me. you don't think that any of the ones that you've watched... So watching the 2010 one with Spain and Holland, I, I just still find it like a dull game. Um, just having that one goal within extra time to kind of seal the World Cup. It's not as entertaining as seeing a 3 all match where you're thinking the game's done and dusted 10 minutes to go and then two moments of so magic. So the drama for you was... Yeah, was I think of, it was yeah. just the more rollercoaster of emotions that kind of caught up with me to say that this one is probably the best one I've seen. Um, also being like a neutral fan and kind of not supporting either side yeah listen uh, it was an absolute treat and, and like I said you know that final 40 minutes probably was good enough to change the idea of the whole final which is fair enough and it was one of the best football matches of all time like I said I think a lot of people got stuck in the prison of the moment that you almost forget all the other good games that you yeah. did watch like f for me I was trying to think and I was just like there's so many games that stick out in my head of that of being amazing games I'll give you one now and we watched it with you at yours. Yeah. The Manchester City versus uh, Spurs. Champions Second League. leg. Yeah. Champions League. <laughs> that game was absolutely incredible. Like That is yeah. genuinely one of the best games I've ever watched. So I do think that when we watch games, we lose a bit of the context of previous games. What I will say, though, one of the reasons why this game is one of the best of all time for me is this. A lot of the times when we see two teams who have a superstar in, in each team, the superstar, one or both, don't perform and it becomes a team game. Yeah. With this, it was a tale of two superstars. It was Messi versus Mbappe, and the game itself was Messi versus Mbappe, where both of them performed to a ridiculous level. Both of them were the reason their teams were where they were. Both of them were the reason why their teams made it to the, to the penalties. So... Because of that, it is very, very high for me because of that. Because the fact that it delivered on, on what it promised and we saw two superstars in their element. Yeah, 100%. Like, as neutrals, we'd all love to have seen Ronaldo versus Messi. Seen as, seen as it would be like the last year of them two being in a World Cup. 
And yeah, look, now it's like you said, it's Mbappe versus Messi. It's like the master versus apprentice. Yeah, it was almost like the passing of the baton, wasn't it? Exactly. And you've got to say now, from what I've seen within Mbappe, I think he's the next big star within world football. Yeah. There's no debate about that. I think I, I want to come to that. I want to come to him and, and speak about him in depth. But before we do that, let's talk about Lionel Messi. Now, this game was a legacy moment yeah. for, for, for Lionel Messi. What it means now is that he has practically won everything there is to win as a footballer. His legacy, for me, everyone has their own opinion who they think is best. I'm not a big fan of the GOAT debate generally because I think it's filled with a lot of, a lot of dishonesty. A lot of dishonesty and a lot of kind of rhetoric that isn't true. From both sides, by the way. You know, in the last two days, I've seen Ronaldo fans come out and say, the World Cup win doesn't mean anything. How can it not mean anything? It's, you know, maybe it's not the best, but it's the most prestigious prize in football. How can it not mean anything? It's it's a legacy-defining moment. And then I've seen, on the other hand, Messi fans deciding to suddenly demote Ronaldo to, like, fourth or fifth best in the world ever. And it's just like... There's just so much dishonesty from both sides that I don't really want to get into that as a debate. What I want to focus on is what this means for Lionel Messi. Because for a lot of Argentinians, Maradona is the example. Maradona is the truth. Maradona it was the measure. And Lionel Messi winning the World Cup has finally meant that he's reached that promised land for him where he has won that prize I think now, probably within Argentina, I don't think anyone would put Maradona above Messi now Now that he has done that. And in the manner that he has done it as well. I want to say something very interesting. So I'm gonna, let me know what you think. Okay. I, and I know a lot of people are going to say penalties, and it's true. Five of the seven goals were penalties. We, we can't ignore that. But if he scored the penalty against Poland, he would have scored in every single match at this World Cup for Argentina. He wasn't just a part of the journey to get into the final like he was in 2014, where he kind of disappeared a little bit in the knockouts. He was the reason they got how far they would, they did. And he did it in absolutely immense style. He did it with grace. He did it with talent. Uh, he just took the breath away sometimes, didn't he? I think, yeah, this World Cup just goes to prove now that Messi is the best player of all time. And... I think no one can even debate it in terms of the awards and the accolades that he's won. I think from trophy to trophy, this was like the only one that was missing for him. And I think a player of that caliber had to win a World Cup, either him or Cristiano. I think we as neutrals or we as fans of both wanted one of them to win it. And luckily enough, Messi's done that. And I think he deserved it within... I think he deserved it how he played throughout the World Cup. I think he was Argentina's main man, their focal point. They worked as a team for Messi. And like Scaloni did within the Copa America, he kind of suited the team to make Messi be their best player and kind of allow him to express himself without having to do more on the defensive side. He got certain players within the team to kind of run the extra mile for Messi, knowing full well that a player of this caliber doesn't have to track back, doesn't have to waste energy. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point, especially when... Especially when you kind of see how Messi's evolved his game as he's got older, where he's he's kind of no longer just doing it for ninety minutes, where he's almost almost picking and choosing when he 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 kind of turns it on, 
to reserve his energy, and I can understand it, you know, the older he is and so on. So I do think that's a very good point, that the team is built around Messi to play the way that he's playing right now. Uh, and defensively, they've been solid, which has helped, of course. And, and like we said, praise to Scaloni for that. And, you know, it was his crowning glory. It was his moment. It was a lot where, where, you know, me, I don't think he's the greatest of all time, but it was still uh, amazing to see how much it meant to him when he won it. Um, and and the players realising that and running to him after the final uh, penalty. And by the way, before I move on, and I should have mentioned this when we talked about the penalties, isn't it crazy that there's only two players ever in the history of the game that have scored a winning penalty at a World Cup final? Like, that, that's nuts to me, because what's amazing about that for me is that you don't even have to be a world-beater of a player to, 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 to do that. The two players that have done it now aren't players that people are going to remember as greats of the game or something but they have the honor of being that and i think that is probably one of the best feelings ever scoring the winning penalty for your country in a world cup final of course uh, i'm referring to montiel who scored it for for argentina and the other was fabio grosso for italy in 2006 of course the other final that was lost in penalties was 94 where of course we know the famous baggio miss moving on let's talk from the, the crowning glory of Lionel Messi to the emergence. I don't want to say emergence because he's not exactly new, but the the statement that Kylian Mbappe put. And now, I've caught a lot of flack for this recently, but I, I think a lot of people generally in football where if you're objective and you, and you don't want to jump on a bandwagon, you're almost seen as a negative. You're almost seen as you're taking it to the other extreme and you're not. Now, with Kylian Mbappe, I've always kind of maintained that people have rushed to to put him on a level that he hadn't reached yet. I remember conversations in 2020, 2019 with people saying he was a top three player in the world. And I was like, not yet. Like, he will be maybe one day, not yet. And I think there's a rush always to, with any player, not just Mbappe, but there's a rush with any player to almost anoint them before they actually do anything. But I think that moment for me, I tweeted, I said, football has a new king and his name is Kylian Mbappe because he is now the king of football. He will be the person who wins the majority of the Ballon d'Ors in the next decade or so. And he is someone that has that inevitability about him. And that for me is my favourite trait in a player. That's why Ronaldo's my GOAT personally because for me is the inevitability factor of prime Ronaldo was ridiculous. And the inevitability that this kid has is is incredible. He turns 24 today, of course, and he's going to be incredible for for the next decade. Of course, it depends on how he, he evolves his game and so on, especially with with his pace at the moment. But to highlight that someone so young, with that much pressure on his shoulders for his nation, uh, and carrying him to a World Cup final, you have to be grateful to know that you're watching the best upcoming or one of the best upcoming stars uh, within our next generation. Now, obviously, we've got Ronaldo, Messi now slowly or uh, in the next year or so going to be declining to kind of go and play the football elsewhere and yeah like you said the next kind of Ballon d'Or winner that we can see winning numerous amount of trophies and accolades throughout his career is Kylian Mbappe I think this tournament or this final highlights the, the kind of debate that was previously had earlier on within the season between Mbappe and Haaland 
and for me, I've got to change my mind. And I was more of a Haaland fan um, throughout the Premier League and in, even in his early days. But I think just to kind of take into consideration that this one, it has to be Mbappe for me now. Um, I think uh, bro, I'm gonna, I'm just going to stop you there. And, and this is not, again, people misunderstand. Like, this is not shade on Mbappe. But what I will say is, Sam, I think that's, again, a prisoner of the moment thing. Because you know, we haven't seen Haaland play for a month and we've seen Mbappe do it at the World Cup. Therefore, your opinion is affected by that recency bias. But no, I understand the, that. But... What, what I'm saying is that we can't just keep flip-flopping our opinion based on the latest thing that we've seen because what now, the Premier League's going to start and you're going to see Haaland score seven hat-tricks in a row. You're going to change your mind again. So I think, I think listen, Haaland and Mbappe and a few others, in my opinion, are probably obviously going to be the, the echelon of the greats in the new generation. I, I do, like I said, I think he's the king of football now and not just because of his ability. Listen, his ability, of course. No, no, but I, I think he, he has more than just ability. It's the name recognition. It's the... The whole package. Uh, the whole package yeah. that, that brings him that. Uh, more than just ability. And when I said king of football, I don't mean just ability. I, I meant the whole package. Looking at statistics um, after the World Cup, he's the first player to score seven goals and over since um, R9. Oh, yeah, he's going to break Close's record in the two. next he, World Cup. He's Yeah, he's on 12 goals. 12 goals already, and he's yeah. probably going to play in two more World Cups at least. So he's he's going to be the next superstar where I don't really know if Haaland... Yeah, but, but what you're on doing... His country, based on his country... That's what I'm saying. Like You can't put the fact that he's from Norway against him because that's not his fault. No, no, I know, but I mean... like It's not his fault. You expect France you know to saying? be throughout with, the most... With Mbappe, he's literally got probably the most stacked country. Half the squad's injured and they've still made a final. Like... You, uh, that's what my issue is sometimes with uh, things that players can't necessarily control is that you can't put that against them. And I understand that you have to be there to do it in the first place and you have to do it when yeah. you get there. I understand that. I just think that no, I think we have it's... to be measured in our approach. That's all. I still think that Mbappe, to get the recognition that he deserves now, has to leave PSG. Has to leave PSG. Yeah, I think, of course. I think... Moving on, I want us to talk about the World Cup as a whole because I think this has definitely been one of the best World Cup. It's probably been the best World Cup I've seen. And the I think it's beautiful that it's it's come in Qatar and, and we, we've seen amazing storylines throughout the World Cup. We've seen Morocco's run, historic run. We've seen Messi, of course, sort of cementing himself and ending his story with the World Cup. The storylines, the drama... The games, the quality of football has been there. And it's absolutely incredible to see. Osama, for you, what was your moment of the World Cup? What moment stands out when you think 2022 Qatar? Saudi Arabia versus Argentina. That 2-1 defeat um, to Argentina, I think kind of shocked everyone. I think everyone went in thinking, okay, this is Argentina, their favourites for the World Cup. They've come in 36 games and beaten. They can't lose to someone outside the top 50. And they've gone so and done it. And they've actually lost to them. And like Spain within 2010, they've gone on and won the World Cup. And yeah, I think that kind of showed to me... Was, it, was it like the moment of that, that victory? I, I, I see what I you're what, saying because I think that was the moment the World Cup came alive. Yeah, I think it's what kind of people around the world were shocked about. And... Obviously, a lot of Arab fans were kind of rejoicing to the victory that Saudi Arabia had against Argentina and can only say they're the only team to beat Argentina at 
this specific World Cup and kind incredible. of incredible. Yeah, yeah, that was absolutely crazy incredible. Scenes. For me, there's this two standout moments, and looking back, one of them now is a bit kind of ah, uh, what could have been. But for me, the first, probably the one I'm going to say is the Anasiri goal against Portugal in the quarterfinals because it was that that moment I was like okay like we have something here like mm. this is history in the making yeah. and I still remember the goosebumps I got at the end of that game that Morocco win against Portugal was history for a lot of people like us yeah and it meant so much and we've seen the scenes from around the world and this Moroccan team has been an inspiration and we will see the results of this run in the next World Cup and the one after that with how all the Arab teams and the African teams perform. And I think that was the the highlight of the World Cup for me. The other one that stands out was the Richarlison overhead kick. Now, uh. it could have <laughs> been something special if Brazil went on to win it. They didn't. But that, mm. that was the moment of the group stages for me, at least, I think. It's, it's been absolutely incredible. And, and being there, being on the ground in Qatar was uh, an experience like no other. And I do not regret making that decision one bit. And... I tried to convince you to come, but you, you couldn't make it. <laughs> but honestly, it was it was genuinely something I will never forget. Then few days I spent there, the games that I went to, everything about it was absolutely incredible. I think just one more thing to say is that this possibly could be the last World Cup for a lot of world-class players that we might not ever get to see grace the oh, best 100%, yeah. tournament of all time. Uh, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Di Maria, Neymar, Benzema, Neuer, De Bruyne, Modric, Busquets, who's now retired, Hazard. B- numerous amount of players who have kind of been absolute stars of the last decade and now kind of. And it is one of their moments of almost a new generation taking the game forward now, isn't it? It's probably a similar kind of to the 2010 World Cup where that was the turning point for a lot of players coming into the game. And, and again, we've seen it. I do think a couple of them players we still might see in the next World Cup. I think Neymar, I think Neymar and Messi might make it. Messi depends on if he retires or not, because mm. I think he's going to go to the MLS, and I still think he will still be playing. Neymar, I think, as well, might give it one last dance. Well, mm. Brazil tend to take their stars even when they're older. Remember R9 and so on. The player of the tournament was a little bit interesting, and for me, it's always given to the winning, the, the winning team's best player kind of thing, and it's, yeah. it is a little bit kind of... It loses its meaning a little bit because I kind of knew that they were going to give it to Mbappe or Messi. And and there's an argument for, for either to deserve it, of course. I'll, I'll, before I give mine, I want to hear who is your player of the tournament, Osama? I think for me, it would have to be Antoine Griezmann. Now, a lot of fans would probably say Messi, but I think the way Griezmann kind of, you can say, carried France to the World Cup final. It was the importance in, in, more than even how good he was, wasn't it? Exactly. Like his, like his, you didn't we saw in the final when he got marked out, the team just didn't they couldn't function. Be, yeah, there was no balance when he was marked out. And I think with France, you thought, okay, Griezmann is probably playing in more attacking-minded role. But he was there, like Pogba said, Griezmann, Kante. He was doing the role of N'Golo Kante. Now, he was breaking up play, as shown within the Morocco game, within the England game. He was there. Yeah, them two the games especially, he stood out, yeah. And... and I can see the argument for Griezmann 100%. For me, I would have said Griezmann because he got to the final, but the one that I think really did deserve it, especially given kind of expectations and so on, like if if I told you Argentina, France were getting into the final, you probably would have said, yeah, sure. 
if I told you Morocco will get into a semi-final, you would have been like, what? And mm. because of that, for me, it's Amrabat, because of how important he is to that Morocco team yeah. uh, and how responsible he was for the run. That is a historic run. Um, and because of that, it's almost like he's the most valuable player in that in the tournament for me, what he did, because the way they played was was defensive and hitting on the counter, but he was the outlet. When they defended, when they won the ball back, it was him, and he would carry the ball out. He would dri- That dribble against Spain still blows my mind, where he dribbled past the Spanish midfield to start an attack. So for me, I, I, I think Amrabat, for sure. No, I've got to, I've got to say yeah, Amrabat was probably the best defensive player within the tournament. I think there's a crazy stat that I read. He's the first player to win possession 50 times at the World Cup. And obviously, you can understand why you've chosen him because he rightly deserves to be there as the best player of the World Cup. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it's always going to go to the big name. And, you know, let's be honest, the France one, that would have gone to Mbappe. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of understandable, but I would have liked to, to see one of, them, one of them two players appreciated for sure. Before we come to like the team of the tournament, I want to also go to the other two awards that were given the goalkeeper of the tournament. Not really a big deal. And the young star of the tournament, which to be fair is is a good measure of players having good careers. If if we look back at it, you know, Podolski, you had uh, Muller, you had Pogba, you had Mbappe. So it's a good measure to be fair. Um, Enzo Fernandez, of course, won it. And I, I think he, he, he deserves it. It wouldn't have been my young player of the tournament. But yeah, who who do you think? Do you, do you agree with Enzo Fernandez winning it? I think uh, I can't really debate whether he deserved or didn't deserve to win. I think there's there's a few good names that you can shout out. For example, like Jude Bellingham, who's had like an amazing World Cup for England and obviously kind of put his name out there in the world stage. Uh, I, I think with Jude, J- Jude Bellingham was quiet in a couple of the games. And I think that's probably why. I think the last two group games, he was very quiet for England. And I think that's probably why. And the fact that he didn't get to like the furthest yeah, stages. But Who would you have? Would you have Jude then? Uh, for me, it'd have to be uh, Unahi for Morocco, then number eight. I thought he's had an exceptional World Cup. And what he's now kind of got himself into is that he's getting a big money move throughout oh, this January. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's, he's only 22, of course. He's, he's still got a lot to, to, to do in the game. I, I think what's crazy is that Jose Mourinho compared him to N'Golo Kante. Like he can do the role of N'Golo Kante. At I think he's, he's a very good passer as well. We have to remember but he that. he offers more going forward rather than N'Golo Kante. He's kind of like an, uh, another Jude Bellingham in a way where he can do the box-to-box yeah, uh, I, really liked well. him. I really, so really I liked him. I thought for me, him. he's the standout. Uh, I, I like that shout. Good shout. For me, um, it's, a, it's another Argentinian. It's not Enzo Fernandez, but Alvarez. I think Julian Alvarez was... In the first couple of games, they kind of looked a little bit slow up top. And I don't think that Latoro Martinez gave the movement that Alvarez did, which created space for Messi. Uh, and McAllister, shout out to him as well. He was very important for Argentina, you know, occupying spaces that Messi left behind. But Julian Alvarez for me, because I think his inclusion in the starting eleven was a turning point for Argentina. And I think that's why the guy scored four goals as well. I think for me, he probably probably deserved it. Uh, quick one, just one word. Goalkeeper of the tournament, Emmy Martin has got it. I don't think either of us agree with that, to be honest. But who do you have? For um, I'd have to go for Croatia's keeper, Lika Kovic. Uh, Croatia's number one goalkeeper. Yeah, no, nah, I like that shout. For me, I'm be a little bit biased. Uh, and I'm gonna say Bono. I'm gonna. Do you know what? Actually, I'm gonna agree with you on that one. I'm gonna say Likakovic as well because I think the the penalty shootout saves were very important from him as well, and and all round game was was very good as well. Let's let's give our teams of the tournament and sound because I asked you to 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 get one ready in mind. 
uh, for this episode. Yeah. Uh, run me through your 11 for your team of the tournament. Now, for me, I'd have to go as a keeper. Uh, it was kind of a tough one between Likakovic and Emi Martinez. I think just because of winning the World Cup itself, I'd have to kind of say Emi Martinez. Secondly, as a right back, I'd have to say Ashraf Hakimi, who was outstanding. Um, centre back, I'd have to go for Guardiola from Croatia, their young upcoming. Yeah, he's star. very good as well, to be fair. Um, and the second centre back would. It's kind of a difficult one, but I'd probably push pushing to say Harry Maguire. I thought he was England's best defensive player. So far, Scott had him in in, the, in their team of the tournament. To be fair, he's been very very excellent. I, I think yeah, he kind of. And you understood why Southgate took him, and I think he kind of performed very well. Performed, yeah, exceptionally. Uh, left back, I'd have to go oh, for tough one. Left back, Theo Hernandez. Yeah, like I said, there's not many outstanding left backs throughout the tournament. Um, so I'd have to give a shout out to Theo Hernandez for getting to the World Cup final. And moving on to my centre defensive, uh, I'd have to say I'm Robert. I'm going for one that might have catch of guard, Luka Modric, and performed very well in his last tournament. To be fair. Yeah. Secondly, it'd have to be Bruno Fernandes. Ooh, interesting. I like it. And within the camp position, I've got Antoine Griezmann. Oh, so Griezmann. you're playing... F- okay, you're playing like four, four, four midfielders diamond. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got Antoine Griezmann within the diamond. And then up top, I've got Messi and Mbappe, who obviously deserve to be Yeah. I, I like that team. I, I like what you did with the, the next room midfielder, because I do think that... We've seen a lot of forwards perform, but maybe not get to the latter stages. So I, I like what you did there. For me, I um, for me it is either Likakovic or Bono, uh, and I'm gonna put Likakovic for variety because I've got a few Moroccan players in here. To be fair, uh, mm. Likakovic for me goes in net, right back. I've also gone Ashraf Hakimi. I think he's been incredible on that right hand side for Morocco. Um, I think he's performed really well for them. So. I'm going to have him on that side. Uh, my two centre-backs, I like the Harry Maguire shot, and I really wanted to put him in there, but I think because England didn't make the semi-finals, I'm going to put players who did. Um, and for me, that's Canate. Um, and then I'm also going to put in there Romero. I think he he performed very well in an Argentina team that was defensively solid. Uh, so I think them two going to centre-back, I would have loved to put Maguire in, you know me. But um, England didn't make the semi-final. Southgate. Uh, left back, I am going to go for an England player here, but because, there's, like you said, there's just not been enough good left backs in this tournament. You know, there's Sosa didn't perform well against Argentina. Argentina's left backs rotated through the tournament. Theo Hernandez, very good going forward, very suspect defensively, so I'm going to put Luke Shaw. Um, my midfield three, kind of a four like you as well, to be fair. I'm For my, for my midfield, I'm also going to go Quite similar to you, actually, but I'm going to have a Murabit and Unahi in there. I think uh, they performed incredibly well. Um, I'm also going to have Bruno Fernandes. I think he was the player of the tournament up until Portugal went out. He was performing at a ridiculously high level. Everything Portugal did came through him. Uh, so I'm also going to have him there. And of course, Griezmann, you can't go without putting Griezmann in there. He uh, the best midfielder at the tournament, probably, uh, as a whole in terms of how important he was. And then, of course, up front, uh, Lionel Messi and uh, Kylian Mbappe. So quite similar teams, to be fair. And now, back to club football, Osama. It's a, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Like, literally, you've got a couple of days, and now we've got Liverpool versus Man City on Thursday. Yeah, I honestly... I, 
I think I'm not ready for club football. I think just having the enjoyment of watching the World Cup and not being stressed watching your own team. Um, I'm going to miss that, man. Yeah, it's the high of watching an international tournament. Is yeah. It's totally different. And I think you do need a little bit of time to kind of almost recover, almost want to watch football. You want you need time to start wanting to watch yeah, football again. Yeah, exactly. Because you've been watching like four games a day and then three <laughs> games a day. And it's, but you need to kind of feel a bit more, I don't know, a bit more normality before going into it. But no no rest, no rest. The Premier League, of course, comes back on the weekend. We've got the Carabao during the midweek. Quick prediction from you. When I start, quick prediction. Liverpool, uh, City, quick prediction. <laughs> I think um, I might have to go for City. You know, yeah, so bro, listen. Haaland's been in the Maris, but Yeah, they've been on a hiatus, so they've been They have been absolutely... To be fair, Mo Salah's always been... We'll see how that game goes. Guys, thank you for sticking with us during uh, our episodes of Doha Diaries through this World Cup. It's been one to remember. It's been one to live on in the memory. Please give us your favourite moments, your players of the tournament, your 11s of the tournament. Any comments are appreciated, of course. Uh, and thank you for the support, as always. Be sure to f- come back next week when we see the return of the two-half show. And boy, it's been a good one, Osama. So much has happened in the NBA and the NFL while we've we've gone in this break. A lot has changed. Uh, we'll be sure to go through that. Thank you for joining me, Osama, as always. Uh, it's a pleasure, as usual. And thank you guys for listening in. Of course, make sure to keep liking, sharing and subscribing. Until next week, keep it locked.